There's a lot of swearing in this podcast already, so I think (laughs) we obviously feel quite passionately about this. to Offscript, a podcast for the tech community. I'm James and I run an agency called Parallax and I'm joined with Josh who runs a consultancy called Stack. Today we're going to be talking about over-engineering. Hi Rio, how are you doing? Hiya. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, yeah, so the... Um the topic for over-engineering kind of came about for a few reasons, really, but one of the kind of main things that triggered my thoughts on it was uh, I was listening to the Syntax podcast recently. I'm not sure if you've um, heard of it. It's, it's a great podcast. Sounds good. Um, and it's run by Wes Boz uh, and another chap. And I was basically listening to it. They had uh, Josh Wardle, the creator of Wordle, on there, and they were starting to talk a bit about how wordle came about i was going to say wardle he's, he's done a clever thing <laughs> is, there. is that inspired by his name then <laughs> i think it must be um because it's too perfect but um yeah he started talking about the simplicity of the app and, and the origins of it and, and it got me thinking a bit about engineering and over engineering and how we often approach things um maybe not in the purest way in the purest form yeah because it's because it's just a really simple thing and he did it for him and his wife is that right yeah yeah that's and right it's the most basic thing that could possibly work yeah so you're not going to run into any scaling issues or anything like that no um so on this on this podcast he was talking about how you know right now uh, at its peak it's, it's hitting about 10 million users every day um, or it was before the new york times um acquired it and I thought it was interesting because it's just a set of web components that run client side. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's nothing else to it. <laughs> and a little word list sat somewhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was saying how the word list is the biggest part of the JS bundle, by the way, which right. was quite interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, it got me thinking a little bit about how you know how he he talks quite a lot about the technology decisions in this podcast, um, and he talked about how he purposely tried to keep it client side. He didn't try and create any backends. Um, he didn't try to over engineer it because at the end of the day, it was just a, a toy project for him and his wife yeah which i thought was really interesting um he, he kind of touched on points around you know as soon as you start to create a back end or a database you're thinking about you know data privacy concerns you're starting to think about storing user data you've got to scale that database you've got to look at all the infrastructure that can run that it gets quite expensive quite yeah. quite quickly yeah especially if people can cheat anyway or they can I don't know. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know, what you're just ruining it for yourself aren't you yeah well that, that's kind of what we talked about because obviously if you look at reading a crossword you can you turn the paper upside down and you can read the answers <laughs> yeah or you can use a piece of software you remember those crossword helpers you used to get the little <laughs> yeah. like pocket things yeah and you put the gaps in and it'd say yeah it's one of these four words it just ruins it doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah they used to be like digital journals didn't they little pocket yeah. diaries that's great how, how did that even work <laughs> <laughs> it's like one level up from a page but without any like yeah. comms in it but, yeah, yeah. On, on this day I did this sentence worth of stuff <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah so I, obviously there's a caveat to, to Wordle because it was a, it was a kind of a small game and obviously your mileage may differ based on what you're building but yeah I thought it was quite an interesting springboard for us to talk a bit about over engineering yeah that is interesting because it it, they have that concept where you can just share this sort of emoji grid as well. Yeah. I thought that's quite a nice, cool way because mm. we've got a, a Wordle Slack group at work. Oh right, and everyone just posts their their scores in. But yeah, you can. You would be able to tell if someone was cheating, wouldn't you? Yeah. Or you'd like to think you could. Maybe that's the attraction to it. Maybe it's a bit <laughs> like you're trying to sound people out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is this person going to do three like fa- 
phony attempts and just <laughs> yeah. have it in one hole. There's something in that. There's, there's a strategy to cheating believably, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... I've yeah. never even thought of that. That would be good. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the, the topic around that's an interesting one. So, you know, over-engineering can, can cause a lot of different problems. Uh, it manifests itself in different symptoms, but, you know, it can cost money. It can um, make things harder to maintain. It can, um, it can cause some really interesting cultural problems yeah, as well. Yeah, because imagine they did build a more complex version of it and they had scaling issues, had to hire people. It went down. Yeah. Maybe it wouldn't have taken off. Maybe... No, maybe the simplicity caused the success. Yeah, I, well, that's the thing is I'll, I'll, again referring to that podcast. It's such a good podcast, you need to listen to it. <laughs> it's the jo- Josh Wardle on on syntax, but um, he talks about how initially he was just doing it on a shared um, a shared host on his personal domain. Um, you know, the, the the cap was something like fifty gig of bandwidth a month. Um, he was starting to get quite close to it. Moved to Cloudflare, took away ninety nine percent of that traffic. Um, but even then, he was still struggling to serve it off that personal account. So it's interesting because if he had made any sort of decision to use any you know say you went with Heroku for example uh, to host a back end yeah that's going to get spenny really quick oh yeah definitely and then you've you've got to look after that data yeah yes yeah. what do you do with it <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you've got a huge responsibility over your head then haven't you to, yeah. to deal with that yeah that's it um so yeah so i, I guess the, the question really is uh, to you what what does over engineering mean and kind of what are the I guess where we're going to go with this is what, what are the kind of symptoms that you see of over-engineering and what are the kind of telltale signs of, of maybe over-engineering something from, from the get-go well I think any amount of engineering that isn't trying to figure out the product market fit early on is yeah. is extra that's not required and it, you can easily fall into that trap mm. especially if you're used to just spinning up uh, an MVP like with your framework of choice so you'd do it in rails right so yeah you out the box you'd get a database you'd get some models you'd have some controllers and views yeah so you've already possibly over-engineered it <laughs> yeah yeah um but it's yeah it's a tricky one isn't it because it you you do fall into patterns of working and you do go f- reach for the tools that you're used to mm. so i'll often grab react for everything now yeah and um, just because I know that it does <laughs> yeah. all the things I want it to do. And would you do that with a backend? Would you, would you have had a backend attached by default or would you start with the static project? Or um, For some of the campaign stuff we've been doing with Adidas, it's, it tends to be front-end first and then yeah. a sprinkling of backend later yeah. on. Um, but yeah, but being a backend dev, I would like I would always like to have a backend. <laughs> yeah. um, but not really thinking about why. And I think that mm-hmm. reasoning and questioning yourself is quite an important thing to do. It's a really important point that because, you know, Rails and, and other frameworks in different languages are, are fantastic for getting up and running quite quickly. Um, but they do assume a kind of default stack that might not be appropriate for every project. So yeah. the, the database is a good example. You know, Rails by default, uh, you know, are used to, it's a lot a lot better now, but you used to expect a database connection before the app spawned and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah it's, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, how some of that behavior might be in your in your own head <laughs> you know uh, we're going to need a database before you might even need one um, yeah is a good point yeah i guess you could always start with that and then pair it back um whereas yeah some people go way overboard and start having separate repos which we've talked about in previous episodes yes <laughs> so oh we'll have one repo for the front end and one repo for the back end yeah which is possibly the worst split you can ever do yes <laughs> <laughs> but it does happen you do see it yeah. um and the reason it happens is because they want to split where the organization splits, split where the teams split. Mm. And if you're doing, if you're designing your code around your organization, yeah. then 
you fucked it <laughs> in <laughs> <Yeah>. my opinion <laughs> um, yeah I, I think that's the that's the really important you know we would probably get uh, get a bit more onto um you know how how we'd how some of those code smells or, or approaches are, are, are more difficult for organizations i think you know monorepos for example like you're talking about you know the the cultural benefits of having everything in one place the visibility of what's going on um for the whole team you know the, the whole team isn't just a set of front enders or back enders and yeah well you need to be able to run a project as easily as possible and if that means you're cloning down 10 repos and they're all using different languages and yeah different ways of booting and they can't communicate with each other without some yeah. service discovery layer thing then you're gonna have a bad time yeah i think i think um there are of course huge cases where some of this you know architecture is, is warranted uh, and i think i think a lot of the initial pushback from some of the implementations of react was just because facebook needs something at the scale that works in this way doesn't mean you need to and i know you know in previous years we've seen a lot of lighter versions of react like frameworks you've seen a lot of um you know a lot of simpler approaches there's there's wrappers for web components now there's lots of different approaches yeah um, definitely it's interesting um well yeah i think it sort of brings us a bit onto microservices because that's the obvious over abstraction that people <laughs> yeah. go down yeah um and they can be a good idea mm. but it it's i think it's james lewis said microservices buy you options yeah he, he, he was very careful to use the word buy because it does come at a cost yes and every time you split an application up into bits you're adding overhead yes um especially if you haven't as I said earlier, I haven't found that product market fit when it's changing quite quickly. You're going to be changing multiple services at the same time. Yeah. That's usually a sign that you've split in the wrong place. I think that's a really good point. Um, and before we kind of get stuck into more of the technical detail, I think it's quite important to recognize a lot of the over-engineering, um, I, I guess the, a lot of the reasons that we end up over-engineering things isn't necessarily technical. It's, it's to do with the general definition of the product that we're building and the clarity around exactly what you're trying to achieve. Um, yeah. Obviously, in, in agency land, you, you spend quite a good amount of time trying to figure out exactly you know, what the specification is of what we're building so we get it right first time. Um, I know yeah. it's not always easy. Um, but, yeah. But, yeah. Well, we're trying to move away from big design up front, specking everything out ahead mm. of time because... You, that's when you know the least about the problem yeah. about the problem you're trying to solve unfortunately but yeah it, it, it does happen um, especially if you commission for a piece of work the client's pretty solid on the idea that they think they want yeah, and then they show it to the customer once you've built it yeah. and you build it again yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah the costly route um, <laughs> yeah but yeah, if if you if you're being smart about it, you want to build as little as possible. Mm. You wordle and show it to people, yeah. and, and then uh, sell it for a million pounds. For a million pounds, yeah. 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 Wish I'd thought of that. I know. <laughs> I can't I imagine everyone now is trying to build the simplest game and, and approaching the New York Times, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's um, you know it's, it's an important point, uh, and I think it's. I, I, quite quite often i i usually jump to you know framework of choice and just try and get something i say down on paper that's not right <laughs> but down on the screen and try and show show it to the client as soon as possible this is what we might try and achieve and this is where yeah. we could go with this um you can touch it you can feel it you can start to because it feels very different when it's in a browser and when you're trying to interact with it yeah definitely i think the the base camp guys and gals um, were, were quite strong on that in, in terms of how they prototype stuff yeah so they start with a, a sketch and yeah. then they build the ui and then they do it in the browser very early on yeah and actually create a thing mm. rather than thinking about this conceptual thing yeah 
because if you if you write if you've ever written specway you assume everyone's read it and they all think the same <laughs> yeah. thing so yeah. i don't think that i've ever seen that i've had a terrible time writing specs <laughs> because you, you send over this document saying this is the thing yeah and then yeah. it's out of date five minutes later yeah 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 whereas yeah. if you write some code yeah. it can be out of date but someone has to change it <laughs> yeah otherwise the thing doesn't exist <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think that's why there's been such a rise in popularity of um of tools like sketch and figma you know in terms of bridging the gap between you know what used to be just kind of static photoshop designs into something that is more of a living document that sits alongside the web yeah yeah or, or yeah. app or whatever you and you've got things like webflow as well so it actually produces decent yeah. working code with scalable responsive bits and stuff it's uh, cool because we've got this common language now of svgs being used in those tools and and the web and, and obviously it's not just svgs but i think it's uh, we've come a long way <laughs> yeah definitely you know going back to the dreamweaver days <laughs> yeah uh, reminisce <laughs> um so in terms of you know you, you touched on microservices there we've had many conversations around microservices and the different benefits and, and issues that they cause um for me a lot of the things are more cultural in terms of you know visibility of what's going on you've got these discrete services that you know are, are little silos of functionality um which are obviously designed to be that way but yeah there's there's lots of things that come from that. Yeah, one of the options it does give you is that you can write in a different language, you can use different tooling, you can deploy it somewhere else. Mm. Those are also disadvantages. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Depending on how you cut it. Like it might be that you need some machine learning thing mm. and you would you jump and use Python because mm. the whole ecosystem is centered around Python. Mm. That might be a logical thing to break off into its own service because you give it an input, maybe mm. a piece of text and it figures out some sentiment on it and gives you something back yeah that might be a sensible abstraction yeah something like um i don't know orders or something like that mm. where it interacts closely with all the other parts of the system if you just abstract out orders into its own microservice yeah you can have a bad time <laughs> yeah i um, mean especially with transactional stuff like that that you know requires you know cr like the state to be maintained across many different areas of responsibility yeah if they're using separate databases and they have their own retrieval and storage yeah. and the, you can't then wrap everything nicely in a database transaction you've no. got to make other trade-offs yeah and then it's really hard to debug <laughs> yeah and if you if you're changing them both at the same time the service that consumes it and the one that it is then mm. uh, yeah you it's not going to be fun um but yeah it, i think you have to be sensible about why you're doing something yeah. and write those reasons down and make sure everyone understands and then you can crack on yeah i think that's especially when you know you mentioned about language selection and things like that i think the 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 governance around those areas is even more important when you're approaching something like a microservice based application so you know the language choice for example i, I have seen examples in the past where someone's wanted to experiment with a new language you know back in the day it might have been gary you know it might be rust now there's loads of different options we've got yeah. people are trying to learn new technologies which is part of the fun part of the job yeah but equally you end up with maybe a oh, dave, dave was the only one that knew rust so oh, he's gone now <laughs> that can be a reason but it's usually a bad reason yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> if dave wants to learn rust yeah you have a separate project where you can just toy around with stuff yeah like have a hack day have a have a hack week hackathon whatever you want to do which you guys do quite often exactly yeah. get it out prototype stuff by yeah. all means try stuff out in new languages but 
don't just write your project in multiple languages because yeah. it might be fun to learn it. <laughs> and, uh, and don't I mean, do we're it. laughing, but it, it happens all the time, doesn't all it? All the time. And yeah, and maybe don't write the order service, which everything relies on in Rust. Uh, <laughs> I think the temptation is always there. And, you know, sometimes those decisions will be correct. Um, but I, I think it's, this is why, you know, things like tech radars exist. And this is why, you know, those sorts of governance models exist where we can make sure that we're entering um, into a decision to build a certain service and a certain technology with the, with the right information at hand. Um, yeah. It's not just a, a whim. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm the first person to get excited about a new technology and start to hack on it. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I jumped on the knockout JS hype and yeah. then that went away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, all the manner of front-end JavaScript frameworks I've seen come in and out of favour. Yeah, thankfully it seems like the industry's settled on React for now, but yeah, it, it will change. <laughs> but that, but there, there's a good reason to go with something that is you know quite well supported, quite quite large in terms of you know its contribution and everything. You know, it's it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you, you want an open source project, for example, in this case, to reach a certain level of maturity that it feels like it can be adopted you know for for the long run because you don't be rewriting everything from react in a few years time ideally yeah no that's it i think another mistake as well that can be made when you split an application up is they'll split the back end up mm. and then your front end still a massive blob of react yeah. that calls the backing services so yeah. you've, you've you've done you've ticked the box of microservices but forgot to tick any of the advantages because yeah. now you can't ship your new feature without changing the UI in this other yeah. bit of code. So yeah. you haven't actually introduced an advantage. No, and you end up with a quite a complicated feature switching setup or however you decide to implement that change. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. You know, and I think a lot of the, if you look at, you know, recent adoption of GraphQL or things like that, you know, a lot of the reasons they exist is to try and tie everything, tie back, everything back together <laughs> again. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, uh, and obviously again, not, not bashing GraphQL. Um, there are good reasons to use it. Um, but I think it's just your mileage may vary based on what, how you're building the rest of your app, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, GraphQL is a good, is a good thing to use if you do have lots of backend services that you need to return in one go especially on mobile because the round trips are awful and if they're from different actual different sources like you know yeah. um, netlify just reached uh, released their graphql um kind of uh, layer to talk to loads of different services like oh, spotify nice. and all sorts so that's cool yeah i think there's there's legitimate reasons to use it isn't there yeah like you could bring something back from auth zero augment it with a few other bits and pieces in one trip yeah exactly that kind of stuff yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but I think we've touched on this in previous episodes, but a modular monolith can be a really good choice. Yeah. And that's what that's Shopify do. Yeah. That's what many companies do. Obviously, Basecamp, yeah. they're big proponents of that. Yes. And I think for a long time, they even had a shared database. Yes. Because um, we spoke to one of the chaps working on it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but he sheepishly said that. But yeah, yeah. I think it, it does make sense. While you're changing and modifying your products, it's the quickest way to roll changes out i think it needs to be almost the well for me at least anyway it's the, it's the default approach for building a, a, a moderately sized application you know yeah. in terms of having because particularly in certain frameworks that the way that you think about um you know different the, the domain itself the different in ruby you know the different objects involved and things like that you, you're already starting with those abstractions so decoupling is easier in the future yeah um you don't have to start with all of these um separate siloed services that's it and some 
some of the reasons people pick microservices is they think it's going to increase code reuse, mm. but it doesn't for free. No. That's an extra cost. <laughs> well, then you've got to think about how you've got a shared package that you can use across the systems if they're in separate repos. How do you version that? Yeah, it's all, yeah. It's all it, crazy. It becomes a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, but there are there are compromises. So I, I actually believe if you know if you have a mono repo based approach, which is where you have all of your code bases in a single repository, yeah, could I, be multiple deployments underneath. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I, I actually I, I think a blended approach where you've got that sort of cultural implementation of a mono repo with you know separate deployed services that that can work a bit better. Um, yeah, I think we've got to get past the idea that monoliths by default means legacy because it yeah. doesn't no i think the word is or bad. slow or, <laughs> yeah, or slow yeah. you know it doesn't have to be slow no it can be light and quick i mean you mentioned earlier uh, a good example of a monolith that's done really well which What's shopify shopify yeah, yeah. yeah so and i mean they're, they're floating for billions of pounds so it's doing all right yeah um you can run multiple instances yeah of a code base yeah <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make any difference <laughs> yeah monolith doesn't mean single deployment in one single point of failure no especially if it's a scripted language because it's not one big binary then you just yeah. when your request comes in it's like a lightning strike through the code base anyway yeah. it doesn't it's not the same as yeah. <laughs> big old .net app. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Shop- Shopify is one of the one of the most beautiful examples of that. If you think about how many stores it's propping up, and you think about all the different, you know, if you were approaching that and you you were into microservices, you'd be all over that because there's so many different domains or parts of that domain that you could start to pull apart. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. On paper, I should love microservices. It's the biggest dev wank going. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, yeah. you can try out all these new tools yeah. and do all this exciting stuff. Yeah, and I love all that. Yeah, but I also know that my project will fail. <laughs> so it's it's, yeah. it's just balancing that. I think it's um, you know. What made me think a lot more is that, you know, we've had conversations. I, I, I'm running out of, you know, hands to count the amount of issues I've seen with deployments of microservices. And again, a lot of it's cultural, you know, in terms yeah. of people being aware, you know, here's this one microservice that you work on. Um, that's all you care about. No, the, you should care about the entire domain and you should care about the entire implementation of the app. Because obviously, as you said, if you've got this big front end that combines it all together, yeah. they're going to have to see that too. You've just shifted the problem there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, yeah, you should just use third parties for for ob- obvious solved problems like Stripe for payments or zero for authentication. Yeah. So you've already you've already got these boundaries, these yeah. well defined boundaries. You're, it already is a mm. distributed application. You don't need to add more distribution <laughs> into it. Yeah. <laughs> just for lols. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it, it is tricky, and it's it and you have to go through that learning curve, don't you? Yeah, I think so. I, I think the, you know, the, the, I still keep coming back to the cultural thing. You know, in terms of that, you know, especially when you're, when you're in the forming stage of building a team and you're trying to get that team working a lot better together, trying to get those those kind of common disciplines in there, like using pull requests and raising issues and and, and approaching that linting how yeah, you approach yeah. building you know the same style of code i think microsoft did some study on shared code and like that's my code don't touch it and yeah. that culture is really bad yeah. and painful yeah and I, you, you can see how a microservice approach would just fuel that it's like oh, totally our service meets the api spec so yeah. it must be right yeah but the fucking thing doesn't work <laughs> yeah and also like even even smaller more discrete things like you're using a different linting profile for different microservices yeah um not only is that a complete head fuck because you're you know you're approaching different styles of programming on each project but also it's just really difficult for 
anyone joining your company to yeah. get up and running. Yeah, and d- different libraries to do the same things within different yeah. microservices. Yeah. There's a lot of swearing in this podcast already, Sorry, yeah. so I think <laughs> we obviously feel quite passionately about this. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think these are these are common, and, you know, we're, we're bashing microservices, but it can easily be lots of different approaches. I, I just think it's, these sorts of things are what I, I feel add a lot of friction to things that need to be more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, um, take ThoughtWorks, for example. So they've, they built a CICD tool, yeah. an open source one, years ago, and it was really nice. So they decided, actually, we need a more commercial one. We're going to build Snap CI. Yeah. And because we know the domain and we know the problem we're trying to solve, we're going to do microservices from the get-go. Yeah. And they know what they're doing, and they messed it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they had a really painful time trying to roll out new features, changing multiple services at the same time, all the problems that we've talked about. And they had to they had to go have the tail between their legs and go right we're going to merge it all back into one and did they keep did they keep it as microservices or did they put it all under a single monolith all under a single monolith until they'd stabilized the feature set and then started breaking stuff out again that's really interesting that they still went back to so did they write a kind of lifting the lid um kind of there is an article on it and i'll have to dig it out and put it in the show notes but yeah yeah, I i think it'd be really interesting to look look through why things like that happen yeah because I, I think also it's a, there's there's a stage of maturity in a project so like that for example they, they used the um the regrouping of those services in a, as an experiment to stabilize the product yes. so it's in, be interesting to figure out where it went off track and, and and why if it was more technical reasons or, or those cultural ones yeah I, th- I think it makes sense to keep the product as one for as long as you can yeah and then split it out but it's it's so difficult to know it's it's always that it depends isn't it <laughs> it is but i think one of the one of the it depends things is is common around scale uh, and oh it needs to scale it needs to hit all of these theoretical perf figures yeah, that yeah. we don't know if that's how it's going to get used and but scaling the hard part isn't the tech side the hard part is getting users to yeah. use it <laughs> <laughs> if your idea is shit it doesn't matter if it's in 100 bits or one it's, yeah and there's nothing more sad seeing an application that's built to scale for the millions and it have 10 users <laughs> yeah it's, it's a sad sorry graph it's heartbreaking <laughs> <laughs> one request hitting 10 services <laughs> yeah it's and, and seeing that bill just go up on AWS is not, is not great yeah I think I think that's a really important point though it's you know the, and particularly you know Rails was bashed so early on in the early days of Rails doesn't scale and I'm sure there's lots of different examples of it being true in some areas but without the context around why those things didn't scale it's it's not it's not a full story I think a lot of the bashing was around uh, ORM wasn't it and yeah. people being lazy with yeah just joining everything to everything yeah. which is a good way to get a quick app going but yeah you have to you have to pedal back and yeah and and write it properly but but there's, if there's no users, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and and there's, oh, there's so much beauty about just hacking away and being like, oh, I'll add an index on that later or I'll figure that out yeah. later. You know, it's, it's part of the beauty of frameworks. They let you kind of focus on the, the thing you're trying to solve. Because when you have actual users using it, that means you have access patterns. And you yeah. can take those access patterns and use them to design the application. Yeah. But until you've got it, you're just guessing. Yeah, and that's why you know monitoring tools are really important. Um, I love AppSignal. I think it's amazing for Ruby and JS apps. Um, I'm the uh, new Relic fanboy. <laughs> yeah, I, I just can't afford it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think any sort of monitoring tool that helps you dig into that stack and show where the pain points are, um, you know, 
that they're more worth investing in than than you know spending days and days trying to model performance that might not happen yeah yeah that's it and you, you've seen that with the whole serverless thing i mean i love mm. serverless but you don't want your application split into thousands of lambdas yeah you can have a really bad time yeah um i read a quote it was um code that changes together stays together and it was around how how you should group code in your code base and how your modules should should oh, sort nice. of be but it, it kind of sticks in my head as, as a as a nice way to to think about stuff mm. Um, mm. so do you think so on, on that like you know we talked a little bit about, about how we split code bases up and everything but you, we touched on deployment a little bit and then how we get that deployed um yeah do you think that's just as important in terms of how because you know there's this huge pop, rise in popularity of how we deploy things you've got kubernetes you've, you've got these kind of platforms as a service or you know I think over-engineering also comes in your approach to deployment and, and how you run the thing. Yeah, so we have sort of both sides of it at Parallax. So we have a Kubernetes stack with lots of Docker containers on it. And the reason we have that is because we're deploying lots and lots of different things. Yeah. But they're all different clients. Mm. It's not one big app that has to talk to each other. Mm. So our needs are very different to... We wouldn't recommend, for example, a five-person team to stand up a Kubernetes cluster hmm. because it's way overkill for what they're going to need. Yeah. So it's it, it's it's kind of a, a difficult thing to explain, depending on yeah where people are and what what kind of team size you are, what hmm. your requirements are. Serverless might be the way to go if you're just trashing something out as a prototype. Yeah, or, or like you said earlier, with you know just a, a static front end or something, you can use any of the services like Netlify or. Reverse L, I can't remember what the name of that one is. But yeah, yeah. But yeah there's, I, I guess it's, um, it depends on the type of team you're building, but I think often, you know, rushing to build this big cluster of managed services yourself is, is, is a is a step too far. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there's there's so many amazing services you can leverage, which means you don't have to have dedicated DevOps or, or you know, have dedicated people that understand how deployments work. 100%, yeah. I think it's just important that anyone can deploy. Yeah, yeah. And if it's simple enough for everyone to do it, then you've you've succeeded. Yeah, that's not that's not to say don't automate because I, I I believe in heavy automation around that area. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, it has to be automated for me. Yeah. Because um, otherwise, it's just chaos. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy that the, the the days I still remember when you used to actually trigger deployments manually and all that. You know. Yeah. It's um, you know, we get, guys, it's you know, it's Thursday. We're going to do a deploy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get all your database tables ready and backed up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I remember you know the days when you could press that big red button. I don't know if you had a, red, a button in the office, <laughs> I, everyone went through a period of triggering buttons for deployments. But, but no, yeah. we made it so easy early on that um, we had to really teach people that if you commit to master it's gonna go somewhere yeah <laughs> be careful <laughs> yeah. yeah um but yeah that was day one that was 11 years ago we had an automated deploy so you you commit it goes nice. to a server yeah and th that wasn't really that done that often no at that time no uh, GitOps and all that movement and devops was much later but there were organizations doing it obviously but yeah um it's rare for for agencies i think yeah, especially at that time, I think it was um, it wasn't as common practice, and so yeah. so with that, you know, doing that from the very start in terms of that's not over engineering, but we talked about governance in place to make sure that you know you followed the path, um, you know, and whenever someone joined Parallax, that you did that that yeah. kind of right. What what sort of governance did you have in place? 
Well, <laughs> it was the only way to deploy. So. <laughs> um, it's our way or the highway at that time. Yeah. Um, obviously, things have changed quite a bit, but yeah, yeah, it it didn't have. It wasn't perfect. Mm. It had some flaws, but it was a lot better than the de facto at the time, which is grab a copy of FileZilla and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> Just wing it over, overwrite yeah. the, the, the files in real time. Well, there's a lot of people building WordPress apps that then morph into e-com things. And mm. that was the agency sort of world at the time. Yeah. We didn't want to touch WordPress, really. Yeah. And we didn't want... We always said... We had, we had a document, which is our explainer for why clients can't have FTP, because we used to get the question, right? when the website goes live, how do we get FTP? Because that's what... That's what they're used to asking. Yeah. And we're like, there is no FTP. We're not standing on an FTP server. Yeah. You, <laughs> like, can't, you can't touch this. <laughs> the FTP server does not exist. Then <laughs> yeah. they didn't get it. So we had to write a document and we had to send it out to clients. And they still didn't get it. I and then we I lost like them as clients. <laughs> but that was correct, I think. That yeah. pushback. Um, I think that's a, that's a really important point around the perception of of some things and and over engineering definitely comes into that space too you know the client's expectations of what you're building versus your experience and what what it tells you to build and i think yeah ftp is a really good example of it's not really over engineering it's just that's just a an industry best practice that's died because it wasn't best practice (laughs) yeah it's just it leads to horrible behaviors it leads to someone changing a file that isn't in source control why would you want that yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. that's not a thing that you want yeah yeah Um, and it's it's so much more error prone (laughs) and and it's just trying to so so in terms of governance one of your approaches there was to to block off um a method of deployment yeah, just don't allow it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, why would a client even need access to the FTP? Um, I mean, I think once it was based on trust, we have physical access to the files that we've paid lots of money for. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm happy to give them access to the repo. Yeah, but just don't touch the servers <laughs> and don't commit to master. <laughs> Ideally, yeah, yeah. Um, apologies, by the way, if there's loads of loud whirring noises because <laughs> <laughs> we're. On the back of Storm Eunice, is it? Or Franklin, or I'm, I'm not sure. All the ones. All the wind, um, which is causing chaos in the UK at the moment. Um, so sorry if the, you can just hear chairs flying around outside. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I guess there's there's one one area that I wanted to just ask about, really, which is the, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about areas where you're likely to over-engineer. But I think there's also areas where it's okay to focus a lot more time on in the early stages so you know you taught you mentioned auth zero earlier about um, outsourcing the auth system for example but like like auth are there other examples of areas you may want to commit a lot more time to early on in the build i think user testing is important and that can often be missed Mm. um so we'll we'll often ask our clients or stakeholders what they think about a feature or or wireframe or mm. actual functionality but if you're missing the users out the loop then you're missing on some really valuable feedback yeah i think people could spend more time on that mm. you, you're never going to say oh i wish i spent less time talking to users <laughs> yeah <laughs> it yeah. doesn't happen so yeah. I, guess, I guess as well with when you're when you're having those conversations with with kind of key stakeholders whether it's the end user or whether it's you know the client i think it's that also helps to highlight areas where you maybe running into issues over engineering something you know yeah um you know a, a dev's gone off uh, on a particular route spent a lot of time um on, on a feature that maybe isn't the highest value to the to the user or the client yeah if you lose the sight of the user then you can very easily go off on a tangent uh, yeah yeah 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess that's where, yeah, you want to make sure that you're making the decisions to write the right code. So yeah. if you cannot write any code, like the Auth0 example, then mm. you can go down that route. Another example is a, a customer, a startup came in the other day and they wanted to build a, a quite a complex customer service route mm. and figure out why content's being reported, the reasons it's being reported, and sort of score it and figure out how severe it is and mm. and then that gets in touch with an agent and they have to do something and they have a load of actions and we're like wait 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 <laughs> one second <laughs> yeah how can we do this in the most simple way where you can sort of develop and run this and in the mm. end we just knock together in the meeting even before even writing <laughs> up a ticket just like well, we'll just build a type form yeah and we built it together nice from their word doc and they're like this is exactly what we need Mm. And Typeform even has scoring. I think it's meant for quizzes, but it worked in this instance. Nice. And you just join that together with Zendesk and it makes a ticket. And then you can chuck a few links in the bottom of the ticket and that mm. links to the web app. And then they can build, they can twink, tink, uh, tinker with that and tweak it mm. as much as they want. Yeah. And you could, you could design that. You could put it into Figma. You could make a Ruby on Rails app for it. You could make it. A CMS backend, a UI. You could spend literally years doing it you if you could, want to. Yeah. <laughs> you could spend two weeks, three months, two years, whatever you wanted to spend on that, yeah. you could do it. Or you could just knock it together and get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's a great example of uh, over-engineering being a, uh, a symptom of, in that case, you know, how someone imagines something working or, or maybe it's how they've always done it, you know? So yeah. trying to, trying to use technology in the same way that they've always done, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's digitizing a manual process when actually we need to really think about the manual process as well. Yeah. And if you haven't done this manual process even once, yeah. why are you optimizing it? <laughs> <laughs> or spending a lot of money implementing it in this, you know, it sounded like that workflow was quite a complicated one they were trying to achieve. And Yeah, but it, actually it was just a few logic jumps in a type form in the end. Yeah, nice. But um, the reason we suggest it is because I remember back when Monzo started doing bank accounts, mm. their sign-up flow was a type form. Yeah, I remember, yeah. <laughs> it just linked up and I was like, this is a type form. But then I started thinking, that's really clever actually, because <laughs> yeah. they probably haven't got enough applications where this needs... Yeah. To be a thing. The devs are working on the banking product, which yeah. is the actual product. Yeah. And this type form is fine. And and also <laughs> if it doesn't work, people will tell you pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't access your banking. <laughs> yeah. You want the devs to be focusing on the actual product, not the, yeah. not the things that you can low code, no code sort of mock up or get to a point where you're eighty percent of the way there. Yeah. I, I remember we when we built um the learning platform for HSX, we started to look into and we didn't spend loads of time on it, but we started to look into different mechanisms for the users of the system to report back how they felt about it. And yeah. it was the time when um lots of those different widgets were popping up, you know, feedback, uh what they call intercom IO style things and, and yeah. um no one used it. We we, we built a feature, <laughs> no one used it. Um we, we, we imagined up something that didn't need to exist cost per use is uh, yeah. pretty high <laughs> yeah i mean fortunately in this case we spent very little time on it but it just goes to show that you really need to understand why you're building is, is it for you and you're expecting people to, to use that for your own benefit because that's not always the, the right way yeah is there a way you can get most of the way there without writing any code yeah that'd be perfect yeah which I mean, is you know you mentioned low code no code with especially with type form right so yeah. and zapier is great for tying services together yeah um i definitely recommend looking at that for 
for just prototyping even. Yeah. And you might find it carries you through to MVP or further. Yeah. But you can make that decision based on people using it and their feedback mm. rather than some theoretical users complaining about it not being <laughs> yeah. 99% like the design. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, you know, and you see a lot of these cloud platforms these days definitely bringing loads of different options to the party for different features, right? So, you know, whether it's auth, whether it's pulling from third-party APIs that you might need data from, yeah. a lot of the a lot of the low-code options now are baked into the hosting platforms. Yeah, and if they've got a decent enough customer, customer success team, I hate that phrase, but... Um, mm they will help you do things as well. So oh, if totally. their product doesn't quite work the way you wanted it to, yeah. some of them are open to helping you, giving you a bit of a leg up. So yeah. they want their monthly recurring revenue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if they can if they can grab you as a good customer, then they'll do it. So Yeah, I think that, that the, um, the dev relations, the dev experience um, over the last few years, people have been committing serious um, funding to make sure that's right, you know, so whoever interacts with these services has a really good time. And if developers are your route in for that, then yeah. make developers happy. Absolutely. We've had SaaS providers change their product based on feedback. And mm. that's a really low cost way to implement those yeah. changes because we just carry on paying as we were. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So I think sort of in closing really is just to sort of cut through the hype. Don't get overexcited by newfangled tech, <laughs> yeah. even though it's it's quite easy to hmm. um, make decisions with open eyes. So write down your list of reasons and actually think through them and make sure that the decision you're making actually hits those goals. Yep. It's very easy to make a decision, forget why you made it, and then <laughs> you miss the point entirely. Especially yeah. if you've got any turnover in the team. They might, you might be a year into switching over to some new architecture and you've forgotten why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and I guess really just don't write code unless you have to and just get on with your life, get on with your product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I think that, that initial point of view saying, you know, make sure the definition of what you're trying to achieve is, is clear. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then get on with your life. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe on all the regular channels and join us in a few weeks as we tackle our next topic.